Go ahead, middle. You're on mute. Good morning, everyone. Um, I could go on listening to everybody recount their childhood experiences uh, forever, um, but it's time to offer a talk. Uh, the title of the talk um, is one that has emerged from a lot of questions I've been getting recently from Sangha members and others. And they all have to do with the question, why? Why? Why sit? Why practice? Why practice the precepts? Why accept the precepts? Why observe the precepts? Uh, why should I do any of this? It's hard. It's difficult. It makes me suffer. Uh, what's the point? What's the point of this? I have to remember a, an experience that the lineage holder in our lineage, Kobinchino Roshi, uh, the story was that he was at a party and he had just uh, arrived in this country from Japan and he was quite a bit of a celebrity and he was at a party and he was cornered by someone at the party who asked him all kinds of questions about Zen practice. Uh, what's the point? Why do it? Uh, question after question about what it was, uh, what was its benefits. And Coben uh, made a little bow and he said, please excuse me for a moment. And he went into the bathroom at, in the apartment opened the window and climbed out and never returned to the party. <laughs> I often feel that way when these questions come in my direction. Why, why, why? I guess I could press leave. <laughs> I could press the leave button and do what Coben did, uh, but um, I'm not that clever. So I will persist in addressing this why. Actually, the, the, this talk are organized itself this morning. Um, while I was lying in bed in that wonderful space between sleeping and waking. And I, I highly recommend spending a little bit of time in this uh, kind of limbo between sleeping and waking. 
the mind is open. The mind is, is vast at this point. You are actually in the process of awakening, which is what our practice is all about. So many insights come to me in this particular space between being asleep and being fully awake. So it, this, this talk organized itself this morning into three parts. Actually, there are three whys, which my, my Aunt Betty always used to say, why is a crooked letter? <laughs> why is a crooked letter? Uh, the first why is, is really the why of doubt. Why? Um, and this is the this is the why that most often comes my way. Why do this? Why do that? Why sit for this length of time? Why sit at all? Uh, why should I receive precepts? Why should I enter this path? What's in it for me? What what's the what are the benefits? It's really an expression of doubt. And you could try to answer that question and make up all kinds of very inspirational stories about why you should undertake this practice. Um, you, can, you can offer all kinds of benefits, but in the end, there are no acceptable reasons if somebody is in a state of doubt in this kind of why, 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 you will be in an endless process of trying to convince that person. Sometimes we wind up in this kind of response to a doubter by saying, I don't know. I don't know why. Or you could wind up saying, well, God decrees it, you know, appeal to some, some authority. But that doesn't stop the doubter because the doubter will then come up with something like, well, if there is a God, why does he allow evil in the world? <laughs> so so this kind of persistent doubt can never really be rationally answered. That person is looking for reasons and there really are no rational explanations for it. And you can get trapped in what uh, another Zen uh, teacher named uh, Shogaku Okamura calls merchant, merchant's mind, merchant's mind. Well, what am I going to get out of it? <laughs> you know, it's like making, uh, making a bargain. If I practice, what will I get from it? And the answer is nothing that will, you will find acceptable. <laughs> nothing that you will find acceptable. You will continue to push 
And why do you continue to push? Because that which is pushing is the ego. And the ego will never let you rest until you find an answer to it. It's this constructed self that wants you always to be doubting. So that's the first kind of why, 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 which is, which is fundamentally a doubt, a persistent doubt. You could say that's a small doubt, but it's very, it's like a mosquito. It's very persistent and, and very um, annoying. Such, such so, so, so that you want to go into the bathroom and escape through the window. The, the sort of medium-sized why is a, a more expansive. It's really the why I will call of wonder. It's wow, why? It's the wonder of, it's, it's the why of curiosity. It's, wow, what is this? Why is this happening? Why am I feeling this? It's that, that deep sense of way-seeking mind or uh, curious mind penetrating mind, mind that wants to see deeply into things, why uh, a mind that begins, as they say, uh, as Plato said, uh, philosophy begins in wonder. And one of my, my favorite poets, uh, Mary Oliver, says that she wants on her epitaph, she wants it to read, she was a bride married to amazement. She was a bride married to amazement. That's like, wow, why? And the response to this why is a kind of immediate immediacy. The answer is right there. For example, when I drive along the roads in central Pennsylvania and see a, a squirrel or a raccoon or a deer roadkill de de dead on the road, I have an immediate reaction. Oh my, this is, I'm so sorry. Or when you see the face of a puppy or a kitten. The reaction is immediate wonder and joy. You don't have to think about it. It's just right there or someone you love. You see the face of somebody you love and you haven't seen for a long time. It's immediate. It's an immediate, you don't have to ask well, why do I feel happy? 
or why do I feel joy or why am I reacting this way? It's just right there. Or when you see a rainbow, wow, right? You're not asking, well, why is that so moving? In fact, I could ask you, why was, um, why was Lego your favorite toy? Or why were the roller skates your favorite toy? You, you really wouldn't have a rational answer to that, I suspect. It, you know, I don't know. <laughs> you could come up with lots of stories, but it really wouldn't be it. It, it just, I know for me, when I go to a, a concert or particularly a choir and the curtain goes up and the voices begin in song, tears just start flowing. It's just the sound of the choir or the, the first notes in a symphony. It's just right there. The reaction. You don't ask, you know, why am I moved? <laughs> it, just, it just happens, right? So when we ask why, why, do, why are we on this path? Why do we observe precepts? There's something of that immediacy in it. I don't know. I'm just here. <laughs> It just is, it just brings me joy. It just makes me feel right. I could list all the kinds of things, stress reduction, um, you know, peaceful relations, uh, you know, a good, a good um, afterlife, you know, there could be lots of, you know, long list of things I, we could offer but it's, it's not it. It's just, I find myself here and it feels right. So the third, the third why is big. It's a very profound and we could say existential why. It almost feels sometimes like a crisis, a crisis why. Heidegger once asked the question, why is there something rather than nothing at all? That's a pretty big why. Why is there something rather than nothing at all? And I want to refer also now to a philosopher who I uh, wrote about in my doctoral dissertation, Albert Camus, who wrote a fascinating essay, series of essays on suicide, in which he claims that the only real philosophical question 
to be addressed is why to go on living. Why to live and why not take your life? What's, what's the point? <laughs> and he calls uh, upon a mythical figure who many of you may have heard about and maybe read about. And that mythical figure is Sisyphus. Sound familiar? Sisyphus is the, is the man who is condemned to the underworld by the gods because he challenged, he challenged the authority of the gods. And he was fated to spend eternity rolling a rock up a mountain only to see it roll down and then have to pick up the rock again and roll it back up. So Sisyphus spent his life for eternity, rolling a rock up a mountain, futilely in futile labor, the rock continually rolling down. And we could say that Sisyphus's fate was absurd. And it was very close to us, to our own lives. We get up every morning, we walk the dogs, <laughs> we brush our teeth, we make our breakfast, we, we engage in our careers, we do meaningful work, uh, we spend the day with friends, with family, expressing love, expressing care, uh, and we develop this incredible life of meaning. Meaning. Meaningful life. That's the rock that we have, we're holding and we're pushing. We're pushing that life up the mountain. But what happens at the end of this process is that we, we die. And everything we've pushed up the mountain just falls down into nothing. And so this is what Camus calls the absurd. The absurd is that we are trying to create meaning where there is no meaning. <laughs> there, there fundamentally is no meaning to what we're doing because it all ends in nothing. So a lot of people then respond to this story about Sisyphus with a sense of despair and desperation, you know, ugh, nihilism, nothing matters. Uh, why do anything? All we're doing is rolling rocks up mountains <laughs> only to see them falling back down and rolling them up. Same thing can be said about precepts, about our practice. 
we practice, we practice, and then nothing happens. <laughs> we don't feel liberated. We don't feel free. What good is it? We're just practicing and practicing and practicing, and we don't, we don't have enlightenment yet. <laughs> Or we're practicing these, we're, we're observing these precepts. And no sooner do I observe the precept of no lying, than I lie. My rock just falls right back down. So what's the point? We can never be, we can never roll that rock all the way up and have it stay there. <laughs> you know, have our life really meaningful and sort of stay up there and be permanent. However, Camus, a lot of folks who interpret this story miss something because Camus goes a little further than what's the point and then just whatever, it's anarchy, it's whatever goes. He doesn't go that way. He doesn't go the way of, well, it's futile it's meaningless and therefore it's not worth anything. Can something that is fundamentally meaningless still be worth something? Yes. And where does the worth come from? It doesn't come from any external source. It doesn't come from any story that we tell. It doesn't come from God, at least from our practice standpoint. It doesn't come from some authority. So where does the worth, if it's not in some sort of external meaning that everyone else can recognize, that rock that we present to the world. Where does it come from? So this is the, this is the part of the myth of Sisyphus that Camus draws our attention to. I'm quoting. It is during that return. He's referring to the return that Sisyphus makes when he sees his rock having fallen to the ground and he's up there. He returns to take up his rock again and start pushing. So it is during that return that Sisyphus interests me. I see that man going down with a heavy yet measured step toward the torment of which he will never know the end. That hour, like a breathing space, which returns as surely as his suffering, 
That is the hour of consciousness. At each of those moments, when he leaves the heights and gradually sinks toward the lairs of the gods, he is superior to his fate. He is stronger than his rock. The struggle itself toward the heights is enough to fill a man's heart. One must imagine Sisyphus happy. So here we are, practicing, pushing, studying, engaging, sharing, working hard, making an effort, showing up every week, every day on our cushion, our seat, only to find that it doesn't bring us anything permanent. So why? What's the point? The point is your freedom to choose your fate, <laughs> to choose what you are doing And therein lies its worth. This is what we mean by the way of liberation. Liberation is an amazing state. It's an amazing process. Really, it's not a final state because it takes place in relation to meaninglessness. And thus it becomes heroic. It becomes heroic. And this is the heroism of being human. That's why we observe precepts. That's why we practice. That's why, that's why we are here together on a Sunday morning. Because we are free. And we choose our freedom. And we support one another in that heroism of humanity. So, thank you.